Welcome to the Inside Inside Sales Podcast with your host, Daryl Prale. Join us every week as we interview industry leaders and experts to uncover the ways they're finding sales success today. Tune in as Daryl brings you actionable strategies and tactics that can immediately increase your sales and success. My friends, my friends, how are you doing? We're back. It's another week. Last I checked, it's still 2021. Last I checked, nobody's missing 2020. And if you recall, if you listened to last week's episode, we were shopping for a car. I'll give you an update on that soon and how that's going because lo and behold, it's, it's somewhat the story will continue into this week because it, it's applicable. Um, in fact, let's just get right into it. So last we talked was about how last episode was about how, you know, we've done all this intent signals. We, we've done a research on it. My wife's looking for a car. We've done this research online. We got to the, to the, we checked out the dealership. We did the Yelp reviews, the Google reviews. We knew it was a good dealership. We gone, we got on the lot. We saw all these cars we wanted to. We walked inside into the dealership in the middle of a Canadian winter. So, you know, to get warm, you get a hot chocolate, use the bathroom. And as she talked to our rep about buying a car, and, and you would think with all those buyer intent signals that physically it was, we just go and demo the cars. But instead he spent the next 30 minutes qualifying us and covering our pain points. Yes, he uncovered our pain points and it was a wonderful time. Many lessons to be learned from the car industry. If you didn't listen to that episode, go listen to it again. But where do we pick up from there? Where we pick up from there is what happened. So this is what happened. My wife, uh, that was on a Saturday. The dealership's closed on a Sunday. So on a Monday, my wife goes over there and says, I want to take the car out for three, four hours and drive around with it because I've got some, some, because she has a couple herniated discs. I want to see if it hurts my back on a prolonged period of time. And uh, they said, no problem. And it was really good. Actually, that we had that conversation on Saturday before we left. Why it matters is that Monday morning, we get a message from the rep simply saying, just letting you know, the car is prepped and ready for you. And by the way, you know, there's no late fees. We're not like the doctors or the dentist or anybody else. Take your time. Enjoy the ride. Very personal, very engaging. We showed up. She shows up. She does the thing. Goes around for three, four hours doing her errands. Remarked on how the gas gauge didn't move. Uh, loved the vehicle, except the seat was too narrow. My wife's not a big woman, but the seat was too narrow, and it was causing her discomfort with those same herniated discs. So the car, despite everything else being great and the rep being great, was a bust. You would think that's the end of the sale. That is an objection. That's a hard objection when you're selling vehicles. I don't like this car. Yet, over the course, since that's gone on, we've had a handful of correspondence to him. Further qualifications. What is it specifically? You need something in the wider seat. Fair enough. Look at me, look in my options. Oh, well, look, I've got this vehicle here. And he's mixed it up. Text message here, an email there. Phone call here, not stalkery. You don't feel like he's just looking for a reason. No pressure. He's not saying you need to come in now. Let me know when you want to come in. I'll have it ready for you. Would you mind if I send you a few links to some of the cars? Tell me to stop whenever you want. I don't want to be that guy. And my wife turns to me last night and says, you know what? I really like this guy. Now, we didn't know this guy from Adam. I really like this guy. I want to buy a car from this guy if I can. So check that out. We've not found a car, but because of how this agent, this rep interacted with us, the tonality, 
the timing, the channel, the value, the lack of a pressure sale. My wife is looking for a reason to buy from this sales rep. Isn't that what you want? Can you imagine? Yeah, I want to sell you this million dollar piece of software. Well, I don't like your software, but please, do you have another piece of software you can sell me? Because I really like you that much. That's where we're at right now. This rep has done this, simply done this by taking some time as it began the last episode of doing some decent sales qualification, not just making any assumptions. We talked about W versus Ted. W last time was what we all do. Why? What? Who? Why? 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 Ted, little softer approach. Tell me more. Explain to me. Describe what this would look like to you, Ted. And he's continued the Ted. We're going to call that from now. It's going to be like a dance movement. So the Carlton is going to be the Ted. And we're going to do the Ted. He's done this on email, on social, on phone. Actually, not on social, sorry. But uh, text. You get the idea. Multiple channels. And my wife loves it. She's my actual laboratory is what she is. And that's when I said, I have got to get an expert on here. Because the last one I did was brought an expert on and saying, this person was so great on discovering pain, I need to get a pain point expert. And that's what we did. Now I'm doing this person so great on doing follow-up and the importance of how it can help you close the sale. That's what I need to do. So I'm just taking my life. You're living it with me. And because of this fine rep at the local Nissan dealership here in Ottawa, Canada, this is what's driving our content calendar for the inside, inside sales show. Ladies and gentlemen, Welcome to the show, Mr. Jeff Short. Jeff, how are you doing today, my friend? Uh, I'm doing great, Daryl. And I have to say, that's such a good story and uh, of, a, of a salesperson who's doing it right. And, and I was talking to a salesperson recently who did a great job on his follow-up. I won't give you the whole story, but he did a great job. And then I asked him, did they buy? And this is what he said. He said, no, but... They had the decency to feel bad about it. And I thought that was really great. That's a great way to look at it. Like, you know, you're doing your job that even if you don't get the sale, your customer feels bad that they didn't buy from you, which sounds like how you will feel if you have to buy from somebody else. We're not going to always have the right product, but we can always have the right relationship. It's a great story. I love it. Well, the funny part about that, too, is, I mean, what am I going to do? <laughs> in our case, I'm going to go on an international podcast and talk about them. Um, right. But for many people, they're just going to do referrals. Uh, I sure. You got to meet this guy. He's got, you, oh, you're looking for a Nissan product? Go talk to this guy. Here, let me do an introduction for you. I couldn't sure. buy because of, you know, my back. But you should talk to this guy. I trust this guy. And we all know the biggest lead source, the biggest, you know, way to start a sale is through a referral. So yeah. even when you don't win, you still win. And so, folks, why did I ask Jeff to join us? Well, if you don't know Jeff, uh, you should. He's the founder and president of Shore Consulting. He's the host of the popular sales podcast, The Buyer's Mind. He's a top-selling author. Most recently, go to Amazon. You'll see his book called Follow Up and Close the Sale. See Follow Up? See that? Follow Up and Close the Sale. Make easy follow-up your winning habit. Five stars, baby, on Amazon. And it's not like with one or two reviews. It's got a boatload of reviews. So there's telling you something. And I had a chance to read the book. Now, you know what we do here at VanillaSoft, we're a sales engagement platform. The very definition of our being is for follow-up. And I'm going through this book going, oh my gosh, I could just take his book and get rid of all my marketing material and sales collateral and just say, every time someone calls us, say, just read this book, come back here, sign the deal, we're done, we'll help you out. But uh, so Jeff, what I wanna talk about today is I wanna talk about follow-up, if that's okay mm -hmm. with you, so we can learn from you, because you are the expert, as is the sales rep, 
selling Nissan cars. Um, and uh, let's get into it. Let's get into uh, what we should do, what we shouldn't do, why it matters, if that's okay with you. Sure. Absolutely. So, Sounds like fun. I want to talk about just, okay, let's start off the baseline. So when yeah. we say follow up, mm -hmm. what does that mean to you? Well, when you're purchasing anything at all, you're going to make a decision that's largely based on your emotion. It's supported by logic, but it's an emotion-based decision. I think we all know that. I don't think we are... Modern science is telling us how much is based on emotion. Uh, the Swedish researcher Martin Lindstrom uh, did a study. He actually hooked people up to a functional MRI reading brain waves while they were making purchase decisions. Uh, his research says 85% of the decision is emotionally based. So then you look and you say, well, when is the emotion the highest? And it's when you're engaged, right? It's when you're trying it on or 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 playing with it or driving it or whatever the case may be. And so we track something called emotional altitude. And I talk a lot about this in the book. That emotional altitude is very, very high when you're engaging with the product, when you're engaging with that salesperson. But what happens once you step away? Almost immediately, that emotional altitude begins to wane. And the purpose of follow-up is to sustain that emotional altitude, to keep that emotional altitude high so that that customer who's going to make an emotion-based decision will stay with you. The longer we go without following up, the more that emotional altitude just falls off the planet and pretty soon you're just forgotten. And that's not a good thing generally in sales. So that's that's really hitting on your your book. It opens up with the why of follow-up. Yeah. And is yeah. A, that's to stay engaged and stay relevant or is there, or is there even more than just that? Well, listen, it's it's I sort of look at everything from the perspective of, yeah, I'm interested in the way that salespeople sell, but I'm much more interested in the way that buyers buy. And even business buyers make emotion-based decisions. They're different types of emotions, but they're still emotional decisions. So the so how do we sustain that emotional altitude? How do we keep people emotionally engaged? And it, it's not simply by just firing more facts and figures, although that's a part of the follow-up effort. It's a matter of like having people feel like they are connected, like they're being served, like somebody out there is thinking about their issues, their concerns, and their problems. How do we sustain that emotional altitude so that when they are ready to buy, we're going to be their, their supplier of choice? All right. So I'm going to stop right there because you sure. said something that is so, I don't know, I want to say impactful that most reps never quite understand. You made the point. It's not the way sellers sell. I mean, that's interesting. It's the way buyers buy. So folks, yeah. when you're selling, it's not about you. Yes, you've got a quota. You got to hit so many, you know, dials a day and send so many emails and do so many social media touches. And, and many of you view that as I have to do this so my boss doesn't rag on me because my activity numbers are down. That's not it. You're doing this because of exactly what Jeff said. It's about how buyers buy. You're doing this because that's how your buyer buys. Mm -hmm. So it's not about you. It's about them. And if you do your job right, then they'll come to you. So then talk to me about some of your tip, what you see often, Jeff, uh, and, and folks listen up, see if this is you, uh, you talk about in your book about typical mistakes and consequences. And you talk about the bad news, talk about the myths, talk about the numbers don't lie. You know, what, what talk, share that with us so our audience can go, Oh yeah, that's me. I can identify. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, it's when I was researching the book, I, I was happened to be reading at the same time. I, I wasn't thinking that I was going to use this in the book, but I was reading, rereading, actually, Stephen Pressfield's incredible book called The War of Art, uh, which is a book that he wrote for creative types, painters, writers, those types of people uh, to talk about uh, what happens with what we commonly call writer's block. It's a creativity block. 
And he talks about this sort of almost mythical beast that he calls resistance, capital R resistance. It's that force that sort of gets in the way and tells you, you don't want to do this now. You, know, you, you would rather do that. You want to check Facebook over here. You want to well, anything other than lean in. Well, that resistance definitely plays a part when it comes to sales professionals and follow up. Oftentimes, salespeople have a negative opinion of follow-up. It's uncomfortable. They've never enjoyed it, possibly because they've not been trained how to do it well. And so then that voice comes along and says, oh, you don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be that telemarketer type of person who's just annoying people. And yep. I would agree, you don't. But when we look at that then and say, I'm not going to do follow-up at all uh, because that will be in my customer's best interest. No, 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 no. You're falling way short of the value that you could provide. So it really begins with the mental hangup that I think a lot of salespeople have. Now, what about the myths? That one, that chapter caught my attention. Yeah. So share that with us. Well, I think the biggest myth that salespeople have is that customers don't want them to follow up. And I think that we sometimes think about our own experience, about the phone ringing during dinner and getting interrupted by a telemarketer or, or whatever. We, we find that distasteful. And indeed it is. But the idea that a customer doesn't want to follow up, well, then the question would be, well, why don't they, why would they not want you to follow up? And if you're just picking up the phone and saying, just checking in, as my friend Art Subject calls it, the parole officer follow up approach, <laughs> I'm just checking in, uh, there's no value being added. And so that's the idea is that sometimes that myth is that we think we follow up so that we can check the box on the you know, CRM and keep the boss happy. But rightly seen, following up is about extending the service. It's about serving long before anything else. So when we think about how well we know the customer, if we know the customer well enough, you should never run out of material that will provide very, very valuable resources for your customer through the follow-up process. But I think that's the single biggest myth that we deal with is that customers don't want us to follow up. And I say, no, 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 customers don't want to be bothered. They don't want their time wasted. So here's an idea. Don't waste their time. Provide something useful and you will not have to worry about that issue. It's so weird you say that because just again, the other day, I know even when I was in, in this dealership, right? The, the, the ask and the questionnaires, right? And, and what's your email address? And what's your phone number? And you know, as soon as you give those two, I'm either going to get a text or yeah. an email or both. Yeah. And, and, right. and you're at that time like, oh, do I give it to them or not? <laughs> Right. But but once I give it, and it's no different than filling out a form on a website or anything else. Once I give it, then I know I'm going to get it. And so I've given you, I've already given you permission. And therefore, I expect you to follow up. I want you to follow up. I made that decision when I shared that with you. You, you didn't have to ask for it. I laughed you had Art Subject on your podcast. Again, mm -hmm. check it out, folks. It's the buyer's mind. It's like the who's who. I saw Blunt on there. I sub subject and a whole list of people, some great people. But I, I had Art on our show too a while ago. And Art and I went through the whole process of how to leave a voicemail. So they do mm -hmm. want follow-up and you should call and you might get a voicemail. Don't just be the I'm checking in guy, exactly as you right. said. There is a science behind it. So folks, if you haven't heard that episode, go check it out. Speaking of science, there's a science behind a podcast. That means we have to take a commercial. But guess what? The science says we will be back. Don't go anywhere. CRM was designed for managing relationships. Sales engagement is designed for starting them. Current stats indicate that sales reps only contact new leads about 50% of the time, make less than two attempts to contact them, and are only about 35% productive. CRM is the wrong tool to engage sales prospects. VanillaSoft is a sales engagement platform. It allows you to rapidly turn marketing-qualified leads into sales-qualified leads. 
According to user reviews, Vanilla Soft will increase your pipeline and productivity by three times or more. Blow your quota out of the water. How? By ensuring each new sales lead is engaged within seconds, persistently, and with the cadence that is optimal for your prospects. Don't let your sales leads fall into a black hole. Take your lead engagement and sales qualification out of your CRM. Try VanillaSoft for free at VanillaSoft.com. And it seems science was right. We're back. That's fantastic. All right, let's move into the uh, what should a rep do when it comes to follow-up. And I'll, let me set the yep. stage a little bit. I'm making this open-ended, and uh, but I'm kind of curious. This is kind of the meat of the whole show here. Uh, your book talks at length about the concept of personalization. Yeah. But there's also lots of things you can do, whether it's video or, you know, different channels, email, what have you, uh, social, text. You go to length about timing, fast but not too fast kind of thing, uh, and persistency. How many attempts do you do you make? So talk to me about the whole, like, what is the, what, what, what can you teach my audience about how they should follow up? All of the above. Sure. Well, I, I would start by the two what I call sales superpowers that are oftentimes not utilized, but they're available to everybody. And those would be speed and personalization. And and the idea here is that a lot of salespeople are looking at it right from the very beginning and they'll say, well, you know, I'm going to follow up within 24 hours. And my first premise is that 24 hours is a lifetime when you're when you've got an active buyer who's out there shopping around, they got their real world going on, their teenagers being a pain, the boss is a jerk, and I've got three other places that I'm shopping at. 24 hours is a very, very long time, in my opinion, too long. Then when I am going to follow up, I'm going to send this generic email that looks like every other email they've ever gotten. That's not speed and that's not personalized. So I want to look at it and say, if we want to extend the emotional altitude, how do we do that? Well, we keep them connected very, very quickly, and we make sure that our email is always tailored to the customer. So there is a point where, yes, maybe our CRM is going to take over, but that's not early. Early on, what you want to do is, you know, I, I think sometimes the mistake that gets made by salespeople is they think of follow-up as a series of disconnected calls or emails or texts or whatever it is. You want to think of this as one long narrative. So the conversation that you're going to have up front before, for example, that visit uh, to that showroom floor uh, carries right into the visit. And then that's going to tie into the next call. And that's going to tie into where you, know, you want to think about it. This is a one long call, but think about it from this perspective. Uh, I'm not salesperson there in Ottawa in the car dealership. Okay. And uh, you're there on the first visit you drive away. Soon as you drive away, I pick up my smartphone and I send you a text message. And it just says, you know what? I talked to a lot of people in the course of my day. I really enjoy that conversation. I know you said you want to be back on Monday. I'll have the car ready, but thanks so much. We'll see you Monday. Now, what did you do? You, you honored them. You, you thanked them. You stood out from everybody else. You put your phone number into their phone. So when you do call them, they know who you are and you've confirmed an appointment. You did that in less than 30 seconds at a cost of zero and you've already stood out. This doesn't have to be difficult. You know, we're not trying to cure cancer here, uh, but those little things along the way that connect that customer to their initial emotional altitude and keep that high. And then we look and say, how do I find the little ways to personalize that? 
the things that you know about the customer, there's nothing in there's nothing that's not valuable. So as you're personalizing, you're thinking through what you know about their life, about their commute, about their driving style, about what they've driven in the past, about their pets, about their kids. I mean, whatever you, all of those things are fodder for effective personalized follow-up as you move forward. Otherwise, what are you going to do? You're going to say the same generic crap that everybody else is sending, and you're going to look exactly like everybody else. That's not how you stand out. What are your thoughts on follow-up? I mean, there's two there's two schools of thoughts. Okay, so back in 2017, I think it was Inside Inside Sales published an article in Zant. I'm sorry, now known as Zant, published an article in HBR. It wasn't Harvard Research. It was just an article that was published in HBR saying you need to follow up in the first five minutes and have a 10x, you know, return on your chance to, you know, engage a, a next step. We here at Vanilla Soft back two plus years ago did a study with Telfer School of Management, 130 million records. And what we saw was if you follow up in the first five minutes, you actually negatively affect your likelihood because you become a bit of a stalker. But you should ideally wait 20 minutes to an hour, although upwards of four hours is also doable. I don't know. Then the following a year ago, we did a study of 2000 B2B executives where we, where we flipped it. Instead of saying, what do our, what is our sales engagement platform? 130 million records say, what do, what do buyers say they want to be followed up on? And what we got from them was if you follow up in about four hours, that's cool. But if you wait more than a day, you, I, I'm, I've already forgotten about you. So what have you seen? What do you advise? Yeah. First of all, I, I, I'm not going to disagree with anything. If a, if a customer just pulled away, the example that I just used, and I, yep. I call that taillight follow-up, I'm going to stand by that because it's one-sided. It doesn't demand a response. Mm -hmm. It would be one thing if I was calling them as they were driving away and saying, just want to <laughs> confirm our appointment for Monday. That That's over the top. But Agreed. It, it, the text message is essentially a thank you note. But I do say very clearly in the book that that first point of voice-to-voice -voice contact should not be 24 hours so that is too long and then in fact four hours is the sweet spot so if you met with them early in the day then by the end of the day you've had that opportunity to get back with them if you're meeting with them later in the afternoon then first thing the next morning you're getting back to them the key here is you, you, again you got to go back and ask what happens in the customer's lives what happens to their emotional altitude after they leave because the book here is what do you it's all about what do you do when the customer says not yet you believe that that customer is at least getting close to buy so what are you doing to sustain that emotional altitude and when too much time goes by and when the follow-up itself is generic there's nothing that tweaks that emotional altitude that keeps it strong that keeps it in the right direction all right so you talked about you use the phrase, you know, sustaining that emotional altitude. And that's a really vivid visual element for me to remember on why I'm doing that. Now, what we know, though, is that statistically, reps seem to make two or three attempts at reaching out to somebody or, or at least trying to continue the dialogue if they've already had an initial one. Mm -hmm. And often they give up or they'll do the same channel only. So only phone or only email as opposed to right. mixing it up. Uh, what do you know, what can you tell us is best practices or best advice when it comes to um, mixing up, you know, I guess, number of attempts, persistency, as sure. well as channels? Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, what we, when you look at the way that you want to communicate with people, it's always best to think about it 
in what I would refer to as a communication hierarchy or communication effectiveness hierarchy, you know, face to face, definitely the the most valuable way to be able to communicate there. Even even now, I can see you on video, Daryl, but it, it's still something that's lost just a little bit. Right. So face to face, you get that energy, you get that vibe, you get the, the, the whole nine yards. Uh, this is a close second, I would say, if we're face to face by video, then what do we do? We look and say voice to voice. Those are what Jeff blunt would refer to as um, uh, synchronous communications. It's, there's a back and forth, there's a give and take. But then you move into asynchronous communication. We start thinking about, you know, a, a video message or a video text message. And then we start thinking about uh, texts and emails and, and we're moving down the effectiveness of communication as we do this. Somewhere down there near the bottom of the list is email communication. Now, email has its place, uh, but here's the problem. It is, without question, the dominant form of follow-up. It is the number one way that salespeople follow up by email. Well, that's a problem because it also happens to be the least effective for the way that it's used. I say this because about 85% of emails never even get opened. They go straight into a trash can right from the very beginning when you look at the billions of emails that are sent around the world every day that are pure spam. So uh, is there a room for email? Yes, there is. There's a strategic use for email. But if you're relying only on email, and if you're thinking that that's going to get you to stand out, I'm telling you, you are fodder for a junk folder somewhere. They're in the, all likelihood, they're not going to see it. So I would look at it and say, how far up that hierarchy can I get? Face-to-face -face is best. Uh, this would be second if I can do it, voice-to-voice -voice after that. I, I want to think about the richest form of follow-up and ask, how do I do that? Now, having said that, I'm going to look at it. I'm going to say, I need to confirm an appointment. I probably don't need to get face-to-face -to, -face to confirm an appointment. So I will let the, I, I, what I'm, the, here's the rule of thumb. Let the message dictate the medium. What's the purpose of the message? If I want to just confirm an appointment, what's the right the right medium for that? Well, it's a text message, in my opinion. I, I can send that quick text message. We can do that. I can follow it up with a voicemail if you're doing a calendar entry. But but let the message decide. The key here is to let the message decide, not your comfort level. There's a reason that email is the most used form of follow-up. It's because it's the most comfortable form of follow-up. And that's the one that rubs me the wrong way. I am smiling ear to ear. I have had this conversation too many times. The phone is huge face to face. How many people don't turn their video on when you have a Zoom meeting? You just go audio only when you're missing a chance to convey body language. Obviously, face to face is will never. That's why I miss physical events. A lot of events I sure. can talk to people one on one. Right. Uh, but mm -hmm. too many people hide behind email. And why, folks? Exactly because of what Jeff just Jeff just said. It's it's what's convenient to you. But remember what Jeff also said. It's it's not about you. It's about how the buyer buys. You're doing this because that's how the buyer buys. So you want to respond promptly. You want to respond with persistency. You want to let, you know, the message and the medium, you know, work together to get your objective based on how the buyer buys because you want to sustain that engagement you have with the buyer already. All right. So that leads to the message. Mm -hmm. We have to make it personal. We all know yep. that. We all hear it. You say something in your book that made me just giggle. And it was giggle for joy because like people just don't get this. You use the phrase, start with what you have in common. And it's, and, and by that, I'm assuming you don't mean, oh, look, we both went to the same alma mater. 
What do you mean by that when you say start with what you have in common? And what even leads you to bring that up in the first place? Yeah, well, I'm a huge fan of uh, the psychologist Robert Cialdini and his work and, and especially his book, Influence the Psychology of Persuasion. And in that book, he talks about six key principles of influence. One of those is uh, that sense of um of friendliness of commonality when we are we are more influenced uh, by people with whom we have something in common so so uh you know when you you go back to oh boy I, you know i'm just thinking all the way back to the tragedy of 911 uh man you know the, the, here south of your border boy you know the united states really just coalesced right there because we were all going through this tragedy at the same time that's an extreme example but what happens here is that when it comes to the idea of sales of being a sales professional it also means that i need to be able to demonstrate my humanness and people are willing to connect with humanness if they feel like there is that sense of we're in this journey together. So those 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 times that I can step into their life when I can walk into their shoes. And this is why the principle of empathy is so critical. It's such a valuable tool for sales counselors. It's not just a matter of knowing what you feel, it's feeling what you feel. That includes that commonness with them. But that, that's really what it is. It increases our influence authority when we find those things that are going to be in common. Now, as you pointed out appropriately so, Daryl, it's very easy to cross that line and uh, to look at it and say, oh, you got a, you know, you, you got a Ottawa Senators uh, shirt on there. I, I know somebody who's a Senators fan. Who cares? Right. It's got to be something in the human experience that's going to make a lot more a lot more sense than that. You know, as I'm looking at this, I can't help but remind it, Jeff, that you're a San Jose Sharks fan and you took Carlson from us. So I'm just bitter about that. Speaking of commonality, <laughs> we have that in common. Um, so what do we know here, folks? We know we're running tight on time. You need to follow Jeff. He's on LinkedIn. All right. It's just LinkedIn.com slash in slash Jeff Shore. You need to follow him on Twitter. Twitter.com slash Jeff Shore. You need to go to his website. Guess what it is? Yeah, that's right. JeffShore.com. Not with the G, but with the J, J E F F. So check out his podcast, The Buyer's Mind. All right. It's on his website, JeffShore.com. So there you go. Um, you need to buy his book. I'm telling you, I've read the book. You need to buy the book. Follow up and close the sale. Make easy follow up your winning habit. Invest in yourself. Now, that's your next step. Go read the book. But beyond that, Jeff's got something that I think you need to know about because this might be where you go next beyond everything I just said, because we're going to do now is going to take five minutes. But now I mentioned, I mentioned invest in yourself, Jeff, what can they do beyond the book? Yeah, we do have a, I, I put together a master class uh, because when you're writing a book, there's a lot of stuff. You're, you're limited by the publisher as to how many words you can put in the book. There's a lot of stuff that didn't fit in the book. We just carved it out and put it into a master class. So if you go to jeffshore.com and, and click on our distance learning tab, you'll see it right there. Uh, and uh, it, it is an opportunity here to be able to say, how do I dig deep? Some people learn better by uh, uh, by reading a book. And I think you should read the book, of course. Uh, but some people uh, are more activity focused. How do I apply that directly? And the masterclass can help you with, with more of the advanced stuff. So there you go. How often have you guys heard me say, if you're a regular listener on the show, learning is earning, right? So reading the book, easy, one-time, small investment. You're learning. You're going to apply the principles. You're going to A, B test it. Right, we always talk about A/B tested. Uh, you heard uh, Jeff talk about a CRM, or it could be your sales engagement platform. Either way, 
test it, A-B test it. But then I've talked as well at length about you spending your money to invest in yourself because you are your own entrepreneur, even when you work for somebody else, because you never, mm -hmm. you never know your next gig. So to do that, consider the masterclass, because I can tell you, uh, sitting here as a CRO of VanillaSoft, a sales engagement platform, which is all about the follow-up, which we talked about today. That's literally what we talked about today that it makes a dramatic difference in your take-home pay because you're gonna close a hell of a lot more deals. What I liked about what Jeff was getting into was you're not doing this for yourself, you're doing this because that's how the buyer buys, you're trying to sustain a relationship and you're just using the tools at play. That's why you do it, it's as simple as that. Anyway, we are out of time. Jeff, thank you for your time today. I had a lot of fun and folks, if you like this show, well, guess what? We're going to do it again next week. In the meantime, please like us, share us, all the usual stuff. Just basically honk our horn as much as you can. I hope to see you online. You can always find me on Twitter. Send me your feedback or on LinkedIn. Tell me your thoughts, your comments. I want to hear from you. Always open to ideas and guests. Send them my way. I'm Daryl Prail. I'm with VanillaSoft. And this is Inside Inside Sales. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Inside Inside Sales Podcast with your host, Daryl Prail. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, we would greatly appreciate you taking a moment to leave us a review on the platform you're listening to the show from today. Also, please feel free to share this program with your friends and colleagues. Thank you. Daryl will be back again next week.